This episode and every episode is sponsored by my company, JDAQA Software Testing. We're your one-stop shop for manual, automated, performance, and security testing. Check us out at jdaqa.com. And with that, let's get on with the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the First Customer Podcast. My name is Jay Agner. Today, I'm lucky enough to have Niraj Veer with me, a managing partner of Amalgam. Niraj, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. And you? I'm great. I was just telling you, you're uh, number three podcast of the day, so you get, I should be locked in. Either that or I'll just be all over the place. So you, yeah, we'll so see, see what you get. You should have had enough caffeine in your system by now. I'm I got even more right here, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm locked and loaded. You got me on a recharge, so we're good to yeah. go. Here's Cheers to, to you. There you go. So let's take it back to where it started. I think I saw in your profile, you maybe weren't from America originally, or you were overseas at some point. Walk me through where you started your journey. But yeah, I, I was born and I was raised in New Delhi in India, which is northern part of India. Did my schooling, went to another city, not very far, but did my engineering. Worked a little bit in a few companies, also worked in a subsidiary of IBM. Worked for a couple of years and did the whole Y2K journey. <laughs> From, from where I was up to the source, which was where the work was. And that's how I started. I got delayed in coming here. So by the time I reached uh, the States, which was uh, middle of 2000, the Y2K problem had been truly resolved and it was a quite, quite a not problem. So that's how I, I landed here. Yeah. It's almost like, it's like people, it's just like 9-11. If you didn't go through it, you just look back and you think it was like nothing, but I remember. Everybody thinking the world was going to end and the big yeah. the, the big New Year's Eve countdown had a special feel to it that, yeah. that year. Everybody thought we may explode or the world planes were going to yeah. come crashing down, but basically nothing happened, I think. so. Which is good. Which is good. Yeah, it's good. We were all, we were all more prepared than we thought. Tell me about America. I think I saw Villanova. Did you go to Nova at some point? So yeah, uh, so I uh, came here, I started working, uh, I did a few consulting gigs, ended up being in a startup called Sanchez Computers at that time was part of it. Then we got acquired uh, by FIS, Fidelity Information Services. During that time, I had grown from a developer to more of implementation, customization lead, ended up doing an executive kind of project management, ISIT management, it was called. So it was a master's in information technology in, from Villanova. Okay. Wow. So very tech focused. When did you start to get your, get the itch to found something for yourself? I think the itch has been there many decades now. There, there was this whole process as being an immigrant myself, and you might not know the whole story, but my journey through to the American legal system was a long and drawn out affair where mm -hmm. even if I wanted to start a business, I couldn't. And for me, it was, it was an entrepreneurial spirit more than anything else. I think you can have that spirit irrespective of what you do. For me, when I was in front of a client, even as a representative of a of a company that was 30,000 or 40,000 people, I would always consider that this was my business. This was my interaction with the client. This was me representing the entity. So I, th I think that spirit was always there. Uh, I just had to wait a few years. Um, and, and the story was that I actually quit the very evening. Um, I heard from my lawyer, which I still remember it was like four, a little past after four and a little after five, I was at my boss's cube uh, office and telling him that uh, I was putting in my resignation. 
There was, it was, I was itching for a while. <laughs> and at that time, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew that I wasn't, I wasn't growing as an individual and uh, I was burnt out, as they say, uh, from the whole environment. Got it. And uh, what was the first business you went to found after you stepped out of the, the nine to five? So it was actually Amalgam, but then I used Amalgam as a way to uh, do consulting. And during the consulting period, I went back to a bank that was a client of mine before and helped them integrate their brokerage business with their banking business. And during that time, I also started developing a product. It was called Transliterate. It was a, it was a product that was helping another product that was being developed by a company called RDC and King of Russia. So it was like dual things. I tell you, I was working about easily about 60, 80 hours on a weekly basis um, while trying to do both things. But it was mm -hmm. fun. I don't think I've ever had more fun than at that time. Now, would you want to go back to working 60 to 80 oh, hours no. now? It wasn't that fun. It wasn't fun enough that you'd want to do it again. Not yeah. now, at least. Yeah. Fun changes uh, depending on your age and situation and what phase of life you're in. So now it's yes, not, that's true. not fun. That's true. Tell me a little bit about how you started to acquire customers for your consulting. Were they clients that you had previously? Were they part of your network? Did you go out and bang down doors? What was your process for getting consulting clients? Yeah, the, the first one was pretty easy, actually. Like I said, because I had the background on banking and software, I was hired as a consultant to a bank that I had worked with before. The product idea or the product scenario was slightly different that I actually was at a friend's son's christening. And I, I met somebody who had just joined a startup and they were talking about doing some real cool stuff in the anti-money laundering OFAC, KYC side of business, and they were struggling with a certain problem. The way they were doing about was they were collecting all this data, which was usually available without payment. Like it was data published by, for example, Interpol, the government of US, the FBI list. So they were basically collecting all these data and putting into a database and doing a service out of it. And there was, they were struggling for particular language set. And, and that was just me discussing, I'm telling them what I do, they tell me mm -hmm. what I did. And I thought, I think these are some NLP projects that we could, we could help you with. Not knowing exactly how we would help them, I threw the gauntlet and I got invited to, to do a, a POC after a few initial meetings, obviously. And we did the POC and that product that we built actually became part of a white label solution that they started selling. Hey. So that was my true first customer. It was me meeting somebody at a friend's christening. I'd say it's always, I would say 80% of the time is like the friends and family plan. That's like always somebody somewhere that it's not yeah. this. There's no, I say it all the time, like there's no playbook really. It's just like you figure it out, you find an angle, you find somebody interested. You, and it's just, it's, I think it's identifying those opportunities and then really following up on them because people hear it all the time. You hear people say yeah. stuff and you just let it roll off your back, but it's really yeah. taking the next step and working with those people and, and making them a client of yours. That's pretty cool. Tell me a little bit more about how Amalgam grew and how, you know, you transitioned from that white label product into more of what you guys do today. So I think that was one of the offerings. So I could say that was really a little outside of Amalgam because we were, we built it, but we were really, once you build the product, it was so doing these things and also going back, looking back on my experiences with the startup that I was, Sanchez Computers, I learned a lot from that experience. We ended up in that 10 year that I was there 
I, I did close to 10 startups in the sense that they were all startup banks. They were banks that were being launched. They were zero branching banks and so on. So I, I learned a lot of things about what not to do apart mm-hmm. from what to do. And I think I took that and I started looking for clients who could use us. And we, we've been a bunch of people working for many years now. The same set of people that, we, that I take along with them. A few of them are full-time employees working with uh, Malgum, but there's a lot of people that are in my, I call it this sphere of influence, where I bring them in as consultants or as partners and so on. So Amalgam is, in, in the true sense, it's a collective of people who want to do great things. And, and that's my, my vision of what I want it to be eventually. Not that we've reached uh, that stage, but we still do great things with like a with the, the, the set of people that I have, full-time consultants and in a few partners that we bring external to help us with. So we've, we've been doing that for many years now. I think it is, it's just playing on that experience and taking that and saying, hey, why couldn't we re- replicate it with another set of people? For example, we've just launched a, a, a company, uh, their software whole platform was built by us and they're an energy company out of California. And we've been building the whole platform. Like we, we were not energy people. We didn't know anything about energy, but we know mm-hmm. how to build platforms. And that's what excites me. The ability to work with people who want to create new things, whether it's an entrepreneurial venture or whether it's a person within a big organization or a mid-sized organization trying to change the way they've been do- doing things before. What were some things that kind of held you back? You would say initially, like it sounds like you started to hit your stride and figure out that's influence. Like what, what were some things that kind of pushed that off to further down the line? I, I think a lot of people think that I don't know how to categorize it at the moment. I think it's got to do with what people say, the imposter syndrome. I think it's, it's like you are attached with a persona, right? You, you create a persona around your own self to say, hey, this is what I am. So for me, for the longest time, I was a technologist. I was into technology. I was building things. I was hands-on that kind of person. And for me to had to change that outlook for n- not saying that I had to understand things completely. Uh, for me, it was, okay, I will get people who understand this completely while I'm stressed thin across multiple clients and other things. Because I couldn't be an expert and be uh, sales and be managing at the same time. So for me, it was like letting go of that persona that was stuck in my head that I had to know deeply about the technology I was building. So okay. I, I think I started to give away some of that stuff. And then I realized that I was more effective and then I could concentrate more on growth and acquiring customers and creating a satisfaction syndrome around it, right? You, you want to be present. You want to be there so that when things are looking to go south, you catch it even before it starts doing that. Delegation. That's what I tell all my, my, my friends who are in the same scenario you just described overstretched, but I think you hit it on the head. It's the imposter syndrome. And I think some of it's like a trust factor and being able to let go. And there's a bunch of these different things, but that's an interesting way to put it. So, uh, follow up to that. If, you know, fast forward to, to tomorrow, if you had to start amalgam over again with all the lessons learned, what would be step one? What would you go out and do tomorrow if you didn't have any clients, you didn't have any employees? What would be step one to figuring out what Amalgam was going to be? I I think I would actually do intentional strategy. So a lot of the strategy was on the go strategy. Again, leaving it, leaving my workplace and and starting something, not knowing and and 
not knowing what it would eventually turn out to be. If I was to rewind back, I would do some more intentional planning and strategy and move in, in, in directions that I would in, be intentional, not opportunistic and not uh, on the spur of the moment that we grew with. And I also largely around the product strategy. I, th I think we had a great product. I think if I was more, if I was smarter and understood the whole equity financing world and I understood how to you know, to get traction on things and was more of a risk taker, I think we would have, we would have done a lot of things in that sense. Yeah. Those are a few of the things I can think of. I'm sure if I look back, there'll be a hundred different things I could have done. <laughs> yes. Hindsight's more than 2020, I think. You know, yeah. Everything, everything looks easy when you look back on the decision you made. Yeah. Let's switch gears a little bit. What are what are three things health-wise, personal health-wise, that you're doing to increase your longevity? What are some of your health habits either you're doing or you're trying to stick with? I think definitely I've stuck to my daily walk routine. I walk at least half an hour. Once I drop my younger son to school, that is when, when that is already on the way. The area that I walk is on the way, so it goes on auto. I, I have to work a little harder when there is no school in a couple mm -hmm. of weeks. Yeah. I, again, it would have to be intentional. So that is like on auto. I try to eat healthy, though it, it depends. What was in India during the Christmas break and after, and there were a couple of weddings. And as Indian weddings are three-day affair or even longer. Mm -hmm. And and my eating healthy was got derailed over there. So it took me a, a few weeks and months to get back. Uh, but generally, I think I'm a good eater. I meditate, and not to the extent that I used to. But I also feel that a lot of the things that I do with intention give me the same meditative response. So if I'm concentrating and, and writing or concentrating and listening to music, and contemplating and, and being focused, it gives, it gives me the same feeling after. I think those are the three things that I stick to, but I have fun too. There is a happy hour, then I'm the first one to reach and last one to leave. Um, <laughs> that, that's not going to change. <laughs> <laughs> my my flight instructor also goes back to India, and he says the same thing every time he goes back. He's man, he's I just get so far off the wagon. He's I'm eating crazy, drinking crazy. It's just like a party. And I come back, and I feel it for the next few weeks. I've heard that story about India before. Right, mystery question time: What is something you would do if you knew you couldn't fail? I think I'm trying to actually. I'm in the process of. Uh, creating a non-for-profit um, that has been in my head for many years. And I, the way I look at it is that I'm going to do it anyway. And so, so I think I'm on that bandwagon already in terms of not worrying about the consequence of what that would be. Apart from that, I, I would say there's so many things that I should have like personally learned things which I, I never did when I was younger. Um, like I, I'd love to be scuba diving, right? I'd love to be bungee jumping or some of those things, uh, which might not be a great idea at my age anymore. Uh, but if if I knew that I would survive it and not fail at it, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all fair answers. All right, so we'll leave it there. Where can people find Amalgam? Where can they find you? What's the best way to get in touch? Yeah, amalgam-inc.com. That's where our website is. I'm on LinkedIn, Niraj Veer. I, I, I usually, I'm very responsive there and would never say no to a meeting or do a call out to a reach out. So yeah, that's the best place. Other than that, I think my, my office space is in, in Chesterbrook. That's where I am three times a week. I work from home 
two to three times a week either way. Cool. Or maybe they'll find you in your, your daily walk. We'll see. Maybe somebody will see you walking down the street and say, <laughs> say hello. They'll say, I heard you like to walk every day. Well, it's great, man. It was really nice to meet you. I'll put all the stuff down in the show notes. People will reach out to you. Great guy, great story. And I wish you the best of luck and have a good rest of your week. And we'll talk to you soon, all right? Thank you for having me. Thanks, Arash. Talk to you, buddy. See you, man. Take care. Bye-bye.